today's shiur be'ezat Hashem on the ideas of Yom Kippur are just a word from the parashat Shavuah already been done. Ha'azinu ha'shamayim ba'adabera ki shem Hashem ekra abu godel enohenu. Nizukutei al-achot explains Torah alone could sometimes be attacked by the evil side. To put in a person's mind to learn for the wrong reason, for pompousness, etc., which the outcome will not be so good. Prayer alone, the evil side could hold on to a person to say that he should pray for his own indulgement and his own luxuries for his body. But when you put Torah and Tefillah together, when what you learn, you make a prayer out of what you learn, thus connecting the Torah to the Tefillah. If you learn about certain laws or certain ways of conducting yourself, you pray to Hashem that this that you learned, you should be able to fulfill. You make from Torah Tefillah. This chases away the evil side. And they have no power at all. And this is the meaning. Hazinu Hashamayim Ba'adabera. Listen to the words of Torah that I say, and Kishem Hashem Ekra Habu When I take the Torah and you make from it a prayer, then Ya'arof Kamatar Amrati, the words will go into the soul and become the song of Ha'azinu. This is advice for the end of days. <clears throat> how to fulfill the Torah. It says, It's talking about the difficult period where there is a concealment of the holiness at the end of days. And It refers to the song. What's the song? The song is the tefillah. The prayer that you make out of the Torah. Uh, when you learn something of Torah, learn about humility, you pray to Hashem to help you to have that humility. And this is la'asot mitorot tefilot. This is the ultimate chasing away of the evil side. When you take the Torah that you learn, ha'azinu ha'shamayim ve'adabera, ki shem Hashem ekran, you make out of it a tefillah and a song. Through this, a person will be able to make it through the end of days. So it's this combination of Torah tefillah that help us during the 10 days of repentance, which we are trying to rid ourselves of the sitra ahra and the evil side. There is so much to discuss. Can this prayer be something unsophisticated, like three words repeated over and over again? Yes, it could be. It doesn't have to be fancy or poetry or in Hebrew. Any type of tefillah that you say in your own words is considered taking the Torah that you learned and making out of it a tefillah. So we began to... Um, we spoke about yesterday the mitzvah of repenting. Erev Kippur. We have a special mitzvah from the Torah, a very unusual type of mitzvah. And that mitzvah is... To eat on Erev Kippur. Tuesday is Erev Kippur. It's a mitzvah to eat and drink more than usual. On the day before Kippur, we learn from the Pasuk, We don't really fast on the 9th, and the Torah talks about fasting on the 9th. It replies to the day of the 9th of Tishri, that it's, if, the Torah says that if you 
eat on Erev Kippur is as if you fasted on the 9th and 10th together, which is, of course, would be a, a massive thing. Women also are obligated in this mitzvah to eat on Erev Kippur, and at least one meal should be made with bread on Erev Kippur uh, to fulfill the mitzvah of eating on Erev uh, Yom Kippur. So, however, the mandate of Erev Kippur is to try not to eat things that are very heavy, which will not be so good for your concentration on Yom Kippur, and uh, therefore keep it uh, light uh, as far as the heaviness of the food is concerned. We spoke about inside the idea of uh, Kaparot, and on, in Minha, on Erev Kippur, we have the mitzvah of Vidui, which is confession. And this is unusual. We spend the whole day of Kippur confessing. Why would we need to confess on Erev Kippur and Menhan Erev Kippur? In the morning, we don't even say Anna. Even in the afternoon, really, we say Yehishem, just confession in the, in the actual prayer of Menha in the Amidah, not in the Hazara. And the answer is a very unusual answer. The Gemara says, you never know what could happen. A person is going to have the Sa'udah before Yom Kippur. Who says he's going to make it through that Sa'udah? Maybe something not so good is going to happen to him and he won't end up saying the Vidui on Yom Kippur. Now this is unusual, seems an unusual way of thinking. All of a sudden now a guy is going to have a Sa'udah, he's going to hasve shalom, choke. I mean, where, where are you coming from? And the answer is obvious, that when you have something very, very powerful and important for a person's life and for his atonement, the evil one is there to try to destroy everything. Much as it's considered that the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is considered a miracle that he did not experience a nocturnal emission on the night of Yom Kippur. Now what kind of thing is that? Kohen Gadol is himself one of the, tzad- the greatest tzaddikim of the generation. No connection to this idea. And all of a sudden, on the holiest day of the year, on Yom Kippur, you're worried about nocturnal emissions. And the answer is, because the evil side would like nothing better than to destroy the person, and the holiest time is when the biggest attack comes. And it's the same thing here. If, who knows if the person will be attacked right before he gets the right under the wire to get life for the next year, the Sitra Allah is looking to destroy it. We obviate that by saying Vidui prior to uh, uh, Kippur starting, and we do it at the time of Minha. There are opinions that it should be done after you eat also, before Arbit, right before Kippur. And we do this, but in a cryptic way. We say the, the poem of Lecha Keli Teshukati, which contains in it Vidui. It has in it vidui, the ashamti ubagati, and this is a fulfillment according to some of the rishonim of the law of confession. So, in the silent amida of minha, you will re- recite vidui, even though afterwards it's yehishem, because the day before Kippur is considered a holiday. Now, why should you not have tahanun the day before Kippur? It's one of the ten days of teshuvah. In selichot in the morning, you say anna and everything, and the answer is because really. Kippur is a holiday. 
and Kippur, you should really have a festive meal and it should be a festive day. Why? You're, you're getting atonement. What type of gift is that? It's a tremendous gift. Atonement just for living through the day and doing what you're supposed to do on that day. You get atonement for sins. <clears throat> It's an amazing thing that we should be very happy and thankful for. And therefore, that the eating on Erev Kippur is symbolic of this idea that we are thankful. We're making a feast for the Mahilat Avonot. We can't eat on Yom Kippur. So the Torah says, have the feast the day before that you are happy with the gift of atonement that Hashem gives to all those who are uh, repentant. And this too is the spirit of Yehishem on Erev Kippur. Um, one second. So this is the Sa'udah. Now, besides the idea of eating on Erev Kippur, you have the Sa'udah HaMafseket, which is the last Sa'udah before Yom Kippur, which is, as we said, a festive Sa'udah, like a Shabbat meal, just to not have stuff too heavy. Now, people have asked that they want to leave, they want to have things ready on Motsa'ir Kippur. And they want to know, can they leave a crock pot on or something on their plata throughout Yom Kippur cooking up throughout Kippur, like you do on Friday night for Shabbat. Now, one second, there's no, you know, uh, no eating on Kippur. So the question is, is it permitted to prepare from before Kippur, which is like Shabbat, and let it cook through the whole Yom Kippur and have it ready after Kippur, or there's some kind of issue with that? The answer is it's permitted. But I don't know how many people want to stay in the house. Sometimes a lady of the house or others, they have to stay in the house. You want to be smelling hameen and chalut the whole day of Yom Kippur. <laughs> I don't know how good of an idea it is. But according to the deen, such a thing is permitted to keep the food warm. Lights are kindled like the lights of Shabbat, but there's a different berakah. Shehiyanu should not be said by the women at the time of lighting the candles, as Shehiyanu was said in Shul at the time of Kal Nidre, even though there is no Kiddush. Uh, yes, sir? Touching food on the Chag is forbidden. Except for, tea, for feeding children. The reason for it is which? Is it Lest you eat it. Lest you end up eating it. to do with Mukseh. No. To my knowledge, it doesn't have to do with mukseh, but you're not it's allowed not to do like, it anyway. It's not like the mukseh of, uh, uh, of, of a Pesach. pen or a rock. Pesach, touching bread on Pesach. on Pesach. The proof that it's not is because you can move it to feed children and the like, and it's not that type of thing, but a person should not be handling food other than to so feed a child. Right, not that class. You're supposed to make netilat to the time, are you allowed to wash your face? Absolutely not. It's an excellent question. You're not allowed to wash any part of your body throughout the 24 hours of Yom Kippur, except for your hands up till the knuckles. You can't wash your face, you can't wash your eyes, you, can't wa you certainly cannot you wash your mouth or use mouthwash or anything else on Yom Kippur. Why? Because the prohibition is washing. The prohibition is not uh, uh, just, uh, you know, drinking prohibition. There are five prohibitions of Yom Kippur. One of them is Rehitzah. Yeah, but it's not comfortable. Uh, I want to take a shower. 
That's the entire idea. The Torah says, you shall afflict yourselves. In other words, in English it tells you, don't be comfortable today. That's exactly what the Torah... If you're not comfortable, then you're doing exactly what the Torah says. Yeah, but I want to... I'm used to washing out my mouth. You're right. Exact, that's exactly the point. You're not eating. You're not drinking. You're not washing. It's not supposed to be a picnic. It's not supposed to be an, a, a, a day where you're involved in indulgences. So washing... For any purposes of luxury or washing yourself is not allowed. A person has a, a medicinal reason to wash, he should consult a rabbi. Do you wear anything new that day? No. New things are not worn, but things, nice things like Shabbat clothing are worn. Now, why is this? Because we are sure. That if we have fear of Hashem and we do the right thing on Yom Kippur, we will indeed have atonement. This is what we uh, um, this is what we have uh, trust in Hashem. So the the Yom Kippur together with repentance uh, brings atonement. And the question is obvious: if repentance alone is enough to atone for your sin, what do you need Yom Kippur for? We said if a person didn't say Keriyat Shema. He didn't eat in the sukkah. He didn't hear in the shofar. He has regret. He's sorry he did it. He confesses the sin. He commits himself never to do it again, to say Shema every day and hear the shofar and, and, and uh, take the lulab. You get atonement, right? So now, what's Yom Kippur for? Gemara explains what it's for. Arba'a, There are four levels of sin. For the neglect of a positive commandment, what we just said is enough. Regret, confession, acceptance for the future. But for a more severe sin, like transgressing a negative commandment, like saying Lashon Hara, or <clears throat> eating something that is improper, or wearing Sha'atnez, or any of the other 365 negative commandments, it is not enough just to do. You have to do Teshubah. This shields you from punishment until Yom Kippur comes. And only the gift of Yom Kippur atones for the negative commandment in addition to Teshubah. So Teshubah is not enough. Is there anything that's even more severe? There are things that are more severe. Teshubah and Yom Kippur are enough for a regular old negative commandment. What about a negative commandment that has, let's say, a punishment of premature death? Like eating hametz on Pesach, or like having relations with the Nida, a woman who did not go to the mikveh. This needs a more severe atonement. It needs kippur, repentance, kippur, and suffering. And then there's a higher level, which is hilul Hashem, desecrating Hashem's name. That needs teshubah, kippur, suffering, and in addition to that, the day of death. So Kippur is necessary for any negative commandment. It's a great gift from Hashem, but we need to fulfill the five forms of self-affliction that exist on Yom Kippur. And the five, uh, of course, there's eating, drinking, anointing oneself with any oils, lotions, creams, makeup. These, all these type of things are forbidden for man or woman on the day of uh, Yom Kippur. And as we said, the washing is washing in the morning. Or if you go to the bathroom, you try to touch a covered place. And then since you're praying all day, you then wash uh, up to the knuckles.
important questions on this subject only. In the middle of the night, Yom Kippur, do people wake up for Tikkun Hatsot? Some people do. Yeah. And you would say Tikkun Le'ah, of course. Okay. There are those who say, there is an opinion of the Benish Hai that according to Mekubalim, that you wouldn't say the entire ten, 10 days of repentance, Tikkun Hatsot. But there are those who say it. Benish Hai would hold not. But anyhow, whatever you're not allowed to do on Shabbat, you're not allowed to do on Yom Kippur, the laws are identical. Uh, eating and drinking on Yom Kippur, if a person is ill and he has to eat on Yom Kippur by doctor's orders, he must consult with his local Orthodox rabbi. Not everything the doctors say is true. And you need to know what kind of doctor you're talking about. And does he know what he's talking about? Does he understand the severity of Yom Kippur, or etc.? And uh, of course, at no time is it permitted to endanger a person's life for the sake of Yom Kippur. It is forbidden to endanger your life for the sake of Yom Kippur. But there are rules of how much, when a person has to eat, how he should eat. He eats less, a, a, a small, tiny piece of bread, waits nine minutes, and then has another piece of a small piece of bread if he has to eat. As far as water is concerned, he has an ounce of water, waits nine minutes, has another ounce of water. This usually will suffice for situations where a person has to eat. Again, if this is the situation, you need to consult with a rabbi to see exactly what uh, you should do. It is allowed to smell besamim on Yom Kippur. We have an issue of ne'a berachot, to get 100 berachot. You can, a few times during the day, the person is allowed to smell uh, besamim, but he doesn't put the besamim on himself. He's allowed to smell the besamim without putting it in his hand. If he has cloves or open bottle of a liquid of besamim, he's allowed to make bure mine besamim. And this was always the custom to make besamim. Besides the custom that during the kohanim, a ne'ilah, during the ne'ilah, the birkat uh, kohanim, they used to wash their hands actual besamim in the water. This is the custom as, uh, as uh, from time immemorial. So, again, uh, Kohanim, who are washing for the sake of the going up to the Dukhan to say the Berchat Kohanim, do yes, wash their hands on Yom Kippur, unlike everyone else. They wash until the wrist, unlike everybody else that can only wash till the knuckles, and uh, this is uh, a special law which shows us how important it is for Kohanim to wash their hands during the year. If you see that we're lenient on Yom Kippur to wash till the wrist, how important it is to uh, wash um, the uh, always, all year for the Kohanim, the Levi washes first, and then he washes the hands of the Kohanim. There is some sort of controversy. If in the Berchot HaShahar, the Beracha that relates to shoes is yeah. made, Beracha relating to shoes is she'asali kol tzorki. All the year, years we skipped this Beracha on Yom Kippur. However, what happened afterwards is that Hakam uh, Ovadia Yosef uh, made a decision based on his research and he felt that you should yes say she'asali kol tzorki. So now we say do whatever you want. You want to say it, say it. Don't want to say it, don't say it. If somebody is wearing shoes, is that an avon? Big. Big time. Belt too? 
No, and there's nothing to do with the belt. It's footwear. Footwear is the problem. There is no problem with belts, and there's no stringency at all with belts. There's no reason why a person should not wear anything leather on any part of his body except for shoes. Leather shoes are just like it's forbidden to eat, to drink, to anoint yourself. To have marital relations. On Yom Kippur, you're not allowed to wear any leather footwear, whether it's a shoe or a sneaker. When I was a kid, they used to tell us, make sure you wear your sneakers. Now, say the opposite. Make sure you wear your shoes. Because sneakers mostly are leather, and most of the shoes today are patent leather. And Of course, use your judgment. It's self-explanatory that... Uh, a non-leather footwear is worn both on Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av, and that marital relations are forbidden no. on this day. Yes, sir. So you're allowed to wear a leather belt? Yeah. You just said we, that. Okay. we just said that just one said that. second no, I just ago. Double, I heard it, but I wasn't sure what Excellent, it Excellent. <laughs> a child who is under nine years old, male or female, does not fast at all on Yom Kippur, even for a little while. There is no issue. You feed them like you feed them every day. And they have to make sure, the parents have to make sure, even though they're busy, that these kids eat even at the night of Yom Kippur. They want a drink. Give them a drink. There's no issue under nine years old. A child who is nine years old starts to fast on Yom Kippur for certain hours. Let's say he ate at eight o'clock. You feed him at ten. At so, so on and so forth. According to the uh, type of health that the child has, and they have to make sure that Erev Kippur, these kids eat the right way. And therefore, if these kids come to shul, you have to make sure to have goods in shul for the little kids uh, who need it. So, um, the... the um, once a child is of 11 years old, then uh, uh, the, the father and mother have to decide if this child can fast the entire day and it is fitting and proper if his constitution allows that they should fast all day. Before that, we do not allow them to fast the whole day. Everyone's obligated to fast. Even a pregnant or nursing woman must fast the entire day. They could stay in bed the whole day. There is no obligation for a woman to come to shul, not to hear the tefillot and not to hear the shofar. If, if they need to stay in bed the whole day to fast, go ahead, stay in bed. It's not an, uh, an issue. And uh, therefore, because of the obligation that everyone has, even a person who will need to eat if he goes to shul, but if he stays in bed, he will not need to eat, this person should stay in bed and not coming to shul. Shul is not the issue. The Torah law is that it's forbidden to eat and drink on uh, this day. A person who has a life-threatening illness must take a, um, a, a pill or something, should make whatever, take it with uh, the least water possible, but the water also, he should advance into the water something bitter, like fenugreek or something else to make the water uh, bitter. This is uh, readily uh, available. So uh, a person who is sick, again, should consult with a doctor as far as what to do. The minhag is to put on talit before Yom Kippur in order to enhance the seriousness of the day. And the beracha is only made if you come to shul before sunset. You make a beracha, asher kideshanu b'mitzvotav, b'tzavanu lehit atef b'tzitzit. Once it's after that, you put it on without a beracha, and we begin the lecha uh, keli, and so on and so forth. We have, of course, the very solemn time of kal nidre. Kal nidre is really hatarat nedarim, but we make a whole big deal about it. 
because this has to do with the decrees on high. Sometimes a decree on high is made with an oath by making an absolution of vows down here. We break the oath on the decree in the world above. This is according to Kabbalah. It is a tremendous mitzvah to, to actually be the one to take out the Sefer Torah for the Kalidre, and it's for this reason uh, the, um, the people spend inordinate amounts of money on this issue because it is indeed a great kapara. As the Sefer Torah goes out, everybody should try to embrace the Sefer Torah and to kiss it. So not just to kiss your hand. My Rabbi Alaba Shalom, Rabbi Rosenfeld Zal, used to say the following. He used to say, people, give tzedakah with their mouth and they kiss the Sefer Torah with their hand. What they should really be doing is they should give tzedakah with their hand and kiss the Sefer Torah with their mouth. Meaning, people tend just to touch their hand to the Sefer and, and kiss it. This is not really the correct way, especially on Yom Kippur. A person should embrace the Sefer Torah and kiss it with his mouth. And people give tzedakah with their hand, meaning they pledge. But the main thing is not the pledge. The main thing is actually giving the money. So this is, we should train ourselves whenever possible. Of course, if it's not possible, you can't reach, you can't do it, you can't do it. You do what you can. What part of the Sefer do you kiss? The outside or the inside? The outside. You never touch the inside for any reason. The inside is not touched for any reason. Mm-hmm. It can make the, the Sefer disqualified and it's disgraceful to ever touch the Sefer Torah without the scarf. There's a scarf on the Sefer Torah even when you have an aliyah. You're not allowed to touch the actual parchment. Even when you're rolling the Sefer Torah from place to place. Which you roll it or you to it? You're not supposed to touch it ever for any reason. Uh-huh. For any reason. You can make it pasul mm-hmm. by... Uh, by touching it. There's no need to touch it. You could put it towards the place, but you don't actually touch the sefer itself. We have a custom to recite hashkabah for those who passed on. Metim. Dead people also need atonement for their sins of, uh, um, on Yom Kippur. It says, Kaper Yisrael. That refers to the living. Asher Padita, who you have redeemed, those who have passed away. Even those who have passed away are in need of atonement for their sins. And that's why we have a custom of making donations to charity for the benefit of their souls and um, uh, of the uh, departed. And the concept is that the living can pray on behalf of the departed and mitigate their punishment. It's a long subject. That's why it's called Yom HaKippurim and so on and uh, so forth. So this is done on Yom Kippur by the Kalidre. We have a, a minhag to say this um, uh, item. The Shehiyanu is said by the Hazan, and people can either fulfill the mitzvah by listening to this Hazan make Shehiyanu, or they have the option to actually say the Shehiyanu on their own. You're not obligated to listen to the Hazan. Yes, sir? I know why you don't put tefillin on Shabbat. Why don't you wear tefillin on Yom Because tefillin is a sign. And just like Shabbat is a sign, Yom Kippur is Shabbat Shabbaton. All holidays and Yom Kippur are Shabbat Shabbaton. And it would be a disgrace to the sign of Yom Kippur to put the other sign on. The same reason as Shabbat. In fact, it's called Shabbat Shabbaton. There's a lot to discuss 
but we're going to stop here today. Baruch Adonai Amen. Gentlemen, have a lovely and stupendous day.